part of each one of these stories to, to help us to get something. Uh, and part of, the, part of the reason for this, I was thinking about this over the last few weeks, and, and I, I don't mention our building very often. I should. I get a lot of requests from people, why don't you talk about it? The board's asking me every now and then, why don't we talk about the building more? Uh, we are building a new building. We are still in the, the throes of the city. I did get a couple emails over the last two or three weeks about our annexation, um, asking me for some statement or something, and, uh, and I think we're all good on that. And so um, it should probably just be uh, soon now, probably six to nine months, and we'll be right into that. For you that don't know, about uh, every year they tell us, yeah, about six to nine months. So um, we're about two and a half years into this and six to nine months. So we don't know when the annexation is going to be done. I actually do think it's, it's getting close. Um, I, I, our engineer emailed me some stuff a couple weeks ago, and I talked to him about it. And I do think it's getting close. I, have, I, I don't know what I'm basing that on. But, but uh, the, the other side of the building is the fact that we are, we're raising money for this, and I was thinking about this a few weeks ago. I was talking with a, f- a friend of mine who's a pastor in Texas, and we were talking about building, and he just moved into a new building. And so I was asking him some questions about the, you know, the fundraising and all the different things. And, and he told me about this person outside the church that came and donated a bunch of money uh, toward the building. And so I was praying that way. God, we need that special someone outside of Church of Briargate to come and, and push this thing forward and and, you know, and hand us a million dollars or something like that. And, and I was, I was kind of convicted by that uh, prayer. And so in looking at that, I, this is part of the reason. It's not only the reason, but it's part of the reason I'm going to talk about what I'm talking about this morning. Because I really, I know it's a scriptural, f- we understand that God does do things from the outside of our lives and brings extra kind of extracurricular things in. But most of the time, that's not the way he does it. Most of the time, he uses you in the middle of the circumstance with what you have already uh, right there. And I think that's a very important faith thing to say, God, I'm going to trust you for right now in my life to do what you want to do according to your plans and the, and the grandeur of who you are and, and not having some kind of extra something. This is one of the things that, this is just a pet peeve of mine, okay? I'm not totally picking on this. Yeah, I actually am picking on this totally. So, the idea that we have, and this is really weird how we do this in the church in America, I really don't understand it, but it's very, very common, is you hear about some church that's having some uh, great move of God somewhere in the, in, the, in the other side of the country, and all these Christians have these pilgrimages to that place. I, I don't really understand the mind of the Christian behind that. It is, is God only doing something there, and if you go there... God will do something with you there? I don't understand that. According to Scripture, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit wants to reside within us right where we're standing. And he wants to do supernatural things with us right where we're standing, in the middle of our world. If we have to, if we have to pick up back in the day, this, I mean, this was 20-something years ago. I actually had a couple, the, the pastor of the church, I just resigned as being a youth pastor, and I was about to move to Colorado. This is 96 and uh, the pastor of the church there in town, I'd known him most of my life, and uh, he said, hey, let's go to Florida, the Brownsville Revival. I was like, okay. And I um, went, it was good services and all that, but the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, why do people have to drive to Jacksonville, Jackson something, Florida, for this? 
there's something wrong in that thinking. The Holy Spirit wants to do something with you right now, today, here. He wants to do something with your household and your family and your workplace and your community where you are. Now think about this. He says that we are uh, temples of the Holy Spirit, that we are literally created. Think about this with me. We are literally created by God for God to use us, and we are created by God for the Holy Spirit to literally infill us, dwell within us. We are designed in such a way that the Holy Spirit wants to work through us. We're actually created that way. Every human on the planet is created that way. So when you're going through your daily process of life and, and the routine of life, which can, which can be mundane, and we get caught up in the minutia, I get all that stuff, but you have, to, you have to think in your mind and your spirit, I am actually designed by God. I am hardwired to have the Holy Spirit living within me and working through me. My brain is designed to listen to the Holy Spirit and, and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. My, my, the physicalness of who I am is created to walk supernaturally. We're created that way. Now, if, if that's the case, why do we have this? And, and this comes back to, I was thinking the exact same thing about our building. I, I was joking with Philip. I don't know what I uh, said to him before service. He was asking about the building and all stuff. And I said, at the current rate of giving that we have right now, we should easily be able to build this within about 85 years, something like that. And so, you know, that exciting word, just right around the corner. But the, the reality is, is I, I joke about that. I don't know what the, the actual number would be. But we do know that, that, that if, if this is a God thing, then God will make it happen. Now, how does he do that? This is the key, is he uses us. He doesn't have to have, I, I'm not against him having a millionaire come from the outside and do this, but I really believe that God wants to do this within us. Take anything going on in your life right now, the same applies. God wants to use you, your moment, your circumstances, the things about you, and to do supernatural things that are beyond you in the middle of that. He wants to. That's the concept of salvation at the core is that you don't have, there's nothing about your existence that can bring salvation to the table. There's nothing about you that deserves salvation. There's nothing about you that has some kind of uh, uh, a propensity toward this or anything. The only reality of this is that Scripture says that we were predestined to know Him. Before we were ever born, He created us to know the Lord. And so the, 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 our responsibility is to say, then, Lord, I want to know you. I want, I want you to save my soul. The next thing in your life, whatever event is happening in your life, Lord, I want to know you. I want you to do this in my life. And, and he does this because of who he is. And so <clears throat> uh, go with me to Exodus chapter 4. And we're, we're, again, I'm just going to pull pieces out. We're going to move on. This is a story of Moses. He's about to go to Pharaoh. He's, he's uh, arguing with God about this. And he says, God, I can't do this. And then we come in in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 4. But Moses protested again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. And we see the rest of the story unfolds with this staff doing a lot of amazing things. At that moment, later on when he was with Pharaoh, that the, the staff is what parts the Red Sea. We know that. Why? Because uh, Charlton Heston stuck the staff. We know this is the way these things happen. 
that this staff is, is integral through the whole story. Now, here's the question that we gotta, we got to answer in our own mind. If you can't get this answered in your own spirit, it hinders what God can do with you now because of the way you look at this story then. Is there something special about that piece of wood? That's the correct answer. Everybody hear that? There's nothing special about that piece of wood. Is there something because maybe it was fashioned? or something? No, there, there's nothing special about that staff. It's just that's what God used. The special is Moses. God didn't call a staff to deliver the people. God called Moses to deliver the people. He used a staff because that's what Moses was holding in his hand at that particular moment. There's, there's so many things, I believe, right now in all of our lives that God could instantly use this, use this. We don't think that way, though. We put, we put uh, parameters around whatever, um, what's going on in our physical bodies, what's going on in, um, in, in our finances, what's going on in our relationships. All these things. We say this has to happen or this has to happen uh, for this to happen over here and all these different things. I have, let, let me go to relationships just for a moment. I have counseled so many people over the years uh, that are struggling in their marriages. I, I have counseled many, many couples over the years that there was affairs in the relationship. Many couples over the years. Now, let me tell you my natural propensity here, my natural bent mentally and emotionally is there's no way they can make it. Because for me, the worst possible thing that could happen in my marriage is if Linda cheated on me. And, and I've told her before, in the nicest possible way, they will never find your body. <laughs> you guys understand what I'm saying? Anybody? You're like, that, I, that ministered to me. I got... All right? I, I don't have... I, if we're recording that, because I don't want to go to prison later, scratch that if we could. But here's the reality of this. I don't understand how a couple could get past that. And yet I have counseled dozens and dozens of couples that have done that very thing. They have rebuilt through grace, which is a God thing, not a human thing. Through grace and through mercy and through love and commitment and covenant, they've rebuilt something that was a God thing already. Marriage is already mysterious. Because why? It, it's not because they had to have some kind of special something over here. Or whatever. And I know that you, you know, they go to counseling. There's all kinds of stuff that happens in the mix of this. But at the end of the day, it is God. It is the Spirit of God and it's grace. That's a God thing. That is not a human-created thing. We could break this down in any area of our life. Finances. I've seen people that have come from, from horrible circumstances financially, and God has rebuilt that thing. Not because they won the lottery, but because God is an amazing God, and he can do amazing things. Somewhere we have to stop trying to figure out, and, and I'm saying this probably more to me than anyone in this room, we have to stop trying to figure out where from the outside the sources are going to come and fix the situations in life not the, the, this issue or this person or this moment or this circumstance. Have you ever had the thought financially, if I just won the lottery right now, everything would be all right? Am I the only one that's ever thought that? Here's, here's a reality that, that happens. Statistics, look this up. 
The people that win the lottery almost every single time within five years, they're broke. They're worse off than when they won the lottery. Think about that. I've told this story one time, I think. Years ago, this was 20-something 20, 20 years ago, Lynn and I, I, Emily wasn't even born. The, the boys were little. And uh, this, this guy in our church won the lottery in Colorado, I, like $70 million or something like that. I get a phone call uh, from a guy in the church, and he said, Pastor, so he was really good friends with this other guy. He said, so-and-so, you know he won the lottery. I said, yeah, I know he won the lottery. And he said, he wants to give you something. I was like, My, my, my train just came in, or ships came in. I don't know. How, you know what I'm saying. Peanut butter is spread on the bread. I don't know how to, what's said there, but this is going to be good. He said, he said, are you home now? I said, we were, we were not. We were about 30, 40 miles away, and I said, I said, no, we're not. He said, well, he's going by your house right now, and he's going he's to drop it off at your house. I was like, really? Do you know what it is? He said, I think I know what it is. I said, Do you, okay, tell me. He says, I think it's a car. I was like, sweet. When I get home, there is about a 15-year-old Chrysler Reliant K <laughs> rusted out, no passenger seat, flat tires sitting in my driveway. We never saw that guy again. He moved somewhere. Moved out of the country. All right, so that was just... Just throwing that out there. That was free. 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's go to the next story. Verse 3. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 3. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall? The man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elijah said. The man reached out and grabbed it. I read a lot of different commentaries about this particular story. Most of them are just goofy. They, they trying to explain something uh, in, a, in a regular way. They, I, I, I had some, I, I, this was a reading something, that was explaining how this was um, a wooden axe. Okay, a wooden axe head, because those, those chop trees down really well. It was a wooden axe head, and, it was, and when it fell, it stuck in the bottom. When the guy stuck this, when Elisha threw the stick in there, it, it, dissolved, it moved the sand so that the piece of wood could float back to the surface. I don't know where, you've got to work hard to take God out of things. This was a metal axe head. This was not 47 bazillion years ago. This was like 2,500, 2,600 years ago. That's it. There was, there was metal axe heads, okay? Axe head falls into the river. So Elisha takes a stick and throws it into the water, and the axe head floats. Big old piece of steel floats. Is, the, is there something special about the stick? No. Nope. It's just a stick. 
Did, did, did it change the, the water, the density of the water or whatever? Did it change the accent? No, this is just God using a stick to, to get his attention on a moment and a time. I really believe that one of the reasons that, that um, James 5 says that when we pray for the sick, we lay hands on them and pray, pray for them is because it's a point of contact for our faith. It's a moment when we know there's a crossroads right there. This is, this is when I, I had the need, and this is when the need is changing, and we're expecting something to be different later. And that moment of, of contact is somebody laying hands on you, somebody praying. That moment of contact of faith so that there could be no question as to what happened was he threw a stick in the water. This was the moment so that they're looking at the water and they recognize that that axe head floats right then at that moment. It's a faith thing. It's a contact thing. It gets our mind and our, and our eyes on the moment. The same reason we pray the way we do. The same reason we anoint with oil. The oil represents the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing special about oil. It represents the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's a point of contact for our faith. To say, God, right now. That's why I strongly believe that when you're praying, you should pray with a right now mentality because that's the moment you're praying. Why would God wait for a while? Is there, is there a scriptural reason why he would wait after we pray? If we're praying and we're asking, wouldn't it make sense that he would answer while we're asking? And so this is a, this is a point of contact for us. Is there, is there something special about the stick? No. It was just a stick. It, part of the reason I'm saying this is I want you to think about this potentially like this. The next time you see a stick, let it be a spiritual moment. Let it be a supernatural moment. That's a stick. That's a God stick. Why? You don't know it's not. Because it's just a stick. The same way as when Elisha picked it up, it was just a stick. God does big things, supernatural things, at moments in our lives when it has nothing to do with the actual situation or the, or the, the circumstance or the, the, the whatever. God does supernatural things. I, I, I mentioned this just a couple weeks ago. I love the fact that Philip said this about dreams, that the Muslim world... The most common way that God confirms himself is through dreams, visions. This is, this, is a, this is a common story that we hear from missionaries in Muslim areas. Because if you're hungry for God, he will meet you where you are. If you're needing him, he will meet you where you are, regardless of whether you're in a Muslim country or in America. Now, I had somebody ask me a few months ago, well, why don't I have dreams and stuff like that if, the, if God's given these to Muslims? I, I believe there's a few reasons, potentially, okay? I don't want to make this like um, the reason or whatever, but I think there is an expectancy and a, and a necessity, a desire, a hunger that comes from that situation in Turkey or somewhere else that, that is different than what we would have here. If we say, God, I need you to do something. I need you to do something. God, I need you to do something. Um, no, God, I'm good. I'll go to the hospital. God, I need you to do something. I need you to do something. Um, no, I, I'll, go, I'll go to Walmart. You, you understand what I'm saying? We, we have a different mentality in America. I don't think we have the same hunger and necessity. I'm saying specifically for Jesus. Not just 
uh, for him to do something, but specifically for Jesus. Do we have a desire or a hunger for God to do something? Are we, are we wanting? When, when's the last time that you said to yourself, not in a, I need this quick thing, but in, this, in the same way that this story was told to us, God, I need to know that you're real. I need to know that you're powerful. I need to know that you, that you are, Jesus, you're the answer. There is, there is a, a, um, a need for us, I think, to have expectancy. Linda mentioned that when she was in um, El Salvador a few weeks ago, that they, that they pray different. She said you could hear when they pray. They pray different than Americans. They pray with expectancy. They pray with the God, this needs to happen right now, today. This needs to happen. An urgency that's involved with that. That I think is, is somehow, um, I think it's missing a lot of times in our prayers and our hearts and our attitudes. Not in the words we're saying and not in our desire to know it, but in the, in the depth of our spirit and our soul, this true urgent expectancy that God's going to do this. And I think we've got to get into God's word for that to happen. God, show me your word. Let your word roll up inside of me so that truth comes out. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and he, as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you pre- please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said... I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. And I've always thought that was a, a, a funny way to say that. We're going to go home, fix our last little piece of food, and then we're going to die. But the reality is, is this is reality. That, that, what other option did they have? What, when, they got, when they ate that meal and there literally was no food left in the house, what other option did they have? This is one of the things, and we, we've tried to explain some of these things to our kids. I've had these conversations with people before. I, I know what it is to be poor, poor, poor. I know what it is. I, I went to be the pastor of a church, a very small church in a very uh, poor area, and I, I know what it is to be poor. When, when people talk to me now, and I, and I have these conversations, I come in, Pastor, we just, we just can't pay the bills. What bills are you talking about? The new truck and the, and the house and the boat, and the, we just can't pay the bills. Is, is that, talk about first world problems. This is, this is the way we think sometimes. Lynn and I had got to some places, again, this is about the time Emily was born, that we did not have any food in our kitchen. I'm working two or three jobs. I'm trying to do everything I can. And we pray, God, I, we need food. God, we need food. We didn't have, I'm not saying we had a stock kitchen. This is one of the things, my kids still do this and they're grown. I know that you, if you got kids, they'll do the same thing. They walk in the kitchen, open the fridge, it's packed full. Cabinets packed full, freezer packed full, and they say, there's nothing to eat. Don't you just want to, there's nothing to eat. What does that even mean? You know what that means in our house? Mom, you haven't made me something and put it on a plate 
and set it on the table and rub my shoulders while I eat it. That's what that means. As when she says, we're going to eat the last food we have and then we're going to die, she's not being tongue-in-cheek. What other option did she have? Into the rope. We're going to die. <clears throat> but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. You, you want to know a spiritual principle here. This is a financial spiritual principle that can change your life. Is you give first to God. You give first to God. And he will provide for you. Why? It's not because God's greedy or anything. We, I, don't know, I don't know how people come up with these things. Well, that's kind of mean of God to make you give to him first. Really? The creator of the planet? The creator of the universe? The creator of the air you breathe? And the water you drink? And the cells in your body? To, to take a, a small portion of that and say, God, as a testimony that I believe you're there, that I know you're God, that you are in charge of everything, I give this to you first. That makes God a meaning? Somehow we get, we get so self-absorbed and, and selfish about stuff. And, 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 and Elijah tells her, uh, do this first. I'm Elisha. Elisha, which one? Elijah. Elijah tells her, uh, feed me first. <laughs> uh, which I believe spiritually should apply. When you buy bacon, <laughs> you should tithe. Just saying. So, <laughs> Elijah said, go and do what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Couldn't God have had somebody from the outside, the local store owner, bring her a big bottle of oil and a big bag of flour and say, here, now this should, this should uh, take care of you for a few months. Couldn't God have done something like that? It wouldn't be difficult for God. We see another very similar story where they, uh, the prophet tells the lady, go get the bottles and just keep filling it up with oil. But he still didn't do, didn't do it from the outside. This is still their jars, their flour, their oil in their house. God could have done it tons of different ways. But he uses their moment, their, their existence and the oil and the flour never ran out. I wonder if her, the mom, at least the son, maybe went and looked in there every now and then. How's this happening? You know, dig to the bottom of the flour, do something, mark the jar <laughs> of the oil to see the next day. Did it go down? Did it go back up? Is it higher? Is it lower? Is it exactly the same? Is, is, am I the only one that their brain works this way? I'd have to know. God uses the moment, the circumstance, what they already have with this. John chapter 21, verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. This is after the resurrection. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, 
Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, Jesus is not in the boat. The reason I say that is because if you're sitting in the boat, maybe if he's sitting in the boat, maybe our argument would be um, he could see a school of fish over here. They're fishing over here. That's not what happened. He's standing on the shore. You realize, why did he choose the right-hand side of the boat? Because they were fishing on the left-hand side. Right? That's some spiritual depth right there. Write that down. If they would have been fishing on the right-hand side of the boat, you know what he would have said? I know, you're tracking with me. Throw it on the left-hand side of the boat. This, this is... Sometimes we make more of the actual moment when only thing it is is Jesus said, I'm bigger than the moment. I'm bigger than the circumstances. I'm bigger than the laws of nature. I'm bigger than fishing. I'm bigger than fish. I'm bigger than what you need to live on. I'm bigger than the things of life. I'm bigger than whatever is limiting you right now. I'm bigger than that. And I can take where you're at, what you're going through, and completely transform it so you can see. So you can have the supernatural so that God can do some stuff. As whatever you're dealing with right now, the Lord wants to take you in the moment with the issues of your life and the circumstances of your life, and he wants to to transform everything going on. Something simple as throwing a stick in the water, throw the net on the right-hand side of the boat. I, I, I told you guys when we got back from Israel a couple years ago, they did that. We're out on the Sea of Galilee. They got the nets on their side, and they say, this is how they fished and all this. So they take the nets up, and then they throw it on the other side of the boat, and they all look at us Christians, you know, because they're Jewish people. And they look at us Christians like, isn't that what you're supposed to do? And there was no fish. Man, when that net hit the water, I was like, God, fill that thing up with fish just to show these guys. It didn't work. So God uses the moment. Whatever you think is limiting you right now, whatever, the the, the axe fell into the water, we're messed up, I can't chop the trees, I can't do my work, I can't fix this, I can't, God's bigger than that. You got to let him be bigger. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the priority of the Lord. This is the priority above anything going on in your life. Anything going on in the world is people knowing Jesus. I'm thinking about that as I looked at the picture of Turkey. And, um, and I was thinking about this. Emily leaned over to me. She said, do you feel called to Turkey right now? She knows me. I can't help it. When he puts the picture up of Galatia, that's the city, I'm thinking, I could go there. Jesus, do you want me to go there? Because that's, I, I, this, is, this is what I figured out about 15 years ago, because I feel called to every time we have a missionary come, I feel called to that country for like two or three months. Here's what I figured out. The Lord's called me to win people to him. And that stirs in my heart, and I get jealous of people like this that are doing it where I could go. When I got a next door neighbor that needs Jesus desperately. Guys, the, the Lord wants us to make disciples. That's the key. But here's the, the next thing. 
Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. Do you realize that? And you're going to see that consistent through Scripture, that when we begin to follow God, it it is a, a life of obedience that we are taking up. It's a life of obedience. The guys are going to pass out the communion. Go ahead and do that. Three things. The first thing is do what Jesus says. Through his word and in your heart, do what Jesus says. We, we don't have to always be looking for something else, the next, the outside situation, the winning the lottery mentality. We don't have to be thinking like that. Do what Jesus says. Do what he says right now. Do what he says today. Do what he says from his word. Do what he says in faith. Do what he says, because why? God's the one that's created everything. And if God said, this is, this is why I pick on these things sometimes. When I, when I ask you, have you prayed about that? Whatever it is. God, should I take that job? Should I move there? Should I do that? Should I, should I date that person? I don't know. Do what God says. Because why? He knows you. He knows everything about everything. He knows. I've often wondered when Elisha takes the stick and he throws it into the water. I wonder what the people standing around thought when he first threw the stick in the water. Did they know what he was doing? Did they understand it? If he would have said to them, I'm going to make the axe head float and threw the stick, would they have doubted that? When the disciples are on the boat and Jesus says, cast a net on the other side, did they doubt that? Did they wonder? Did they think that was a dumb idea? If God says something to you right now, would you think that's a dumb idea? Would you think that's silly? Well, that's not going to work that way. That, that's not how God does it. I, 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 I've said this before, but years ago, a long, long time ago, this, is, um, this was, my boys were babies. And uh, Lynn and I were going through a difficult time. We had transitioned out of being youth pastor, about to be pastors, and and uh, working a few jobs and walk into a church service and I'm standing there praying, worshiping and, and uh, God tells me very succinctly, very clearly in my spirit, I want you to give everything that you have right now, put in the offering. This is a pretty large church, like a mega church. I think I had like $136 they don't need my 136. You know, all that stuff started going through my head. They got plenty of money. I'm the one that don't got money. They should give me money. Anybody ever had those thoughts? Yeah, you're just as mean as I was at that moment. Not trusting. But that's, that's the argument I'm going through, right? I'm struggling. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm having this conversation with God and I'm bawling and crying. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't, I literally, this is all the money I had. I didn't have, I, we had done away with our bank account because we were moving I, I was living on cash and uh, God said get everything you got it was literally in my wallet everything I had I'm crying I look over at Linda she's bawling and crying she said did God just tell you to give everything I said that is going to make it easier that you know it too <laughs> that was a huge confirmation I joke about that but it was huge and, uh, and we gave it End of story. Nobody walked up after her and gave us $1,000. No, we just did what God said. There's been no extra from that. 
Just do what God said. It didn't make sense. Still doesn't make sense today, except God said do it. The second thing is trust the Lord is with you always. He is with you when things are going well. He's with you when they're going difficult. He is with you. He is with you right now. He is with you. You've got to know that. And I believe very strongly you already have what you need. You already have it. It's in your world. It's in your life. It's in your spirit. It's in your mind. You already have what you need. The most important thing is Jesus. You already have that. You already have him. You already have what you need. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we ask you to cover us with your blood. Cover us with your blood, Jesus. God, bring clarity into our mind and our spirit right now. Bring clarity. Lord, that we can see past all the details that's going on in our world right now, we can see you. We can see you. And Lord, we don't have to live by the circumstances. We don't have to live by the moment. We don't have to live by the, the negative report or the bad situation. We don't have to live by that. Lord, we can look through all of that stuff and see you. Jesus, we can see you. God, and I want the same, I, I want the same um, promise that, that, uh, that, that that vision, that dream was given to, to the, the story earlier. That what, what else is it going to have to take for me to just believe in you? Do you believe in me yet? Jesus, I want to stand on that. I believe in you. I believe in you. Regardless of what's happening, I believe in you. Keep your head bowed. We're going to take this communion together, and we're going to do this. Scripture says that we're supposed to do this to remember that Jesus is on the throne. I'm going to do this a little differently this morning. That we're supposed to do this to remember that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the lamb that was slain, that he's the forgiver, he's the redeemer, that he's the provider, that we're supposed to do this every now and then to remind us in case we would somehow forget that he's God above everything. And so whatever is going on in your world right now, whatever is happening, that you need Jesus to be bigger than you, we're going to remind ourselves that he is big, that he is transcendent, and that he is God, that his blood is big enough and his body is big enough to handle all the stuff. So take the Take the bread, put it in your hand. He says, by his stripes that you're healed. If, if you're dealing with physical things right now, we're going to remind ourselves right now that his stripes heal us. That his body being torn makes our body whole. And that we have that promise. That this is a promise we can stand on, live on. In the name of Jesus. God, help us to get it in our spirit. Help us to get it in our spirit. Anything we're dealing with physically, Lord, you've already taken care of it. You've already taken what it needs to happen. And it's right now. The miracles are already right now here in our world and our life. So, Lord, we receive that physically. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. We stand in faith, believing we stand in faith believing that you're bigger than any physical thing that can happen in our world. In Jesus' name, take the cup. We're going to do this in just a second. Hold the cup, and I want you to think about this. His blood forgives me. 
His blood can break down anything going on in my life and my world. Lord, remind us of how big you are, that you transcend time and space, you transcend sin, you transcend anything. And we trust in you, the King. If you don't belong to him right now, before we take this, just ask him, Jesus, forgive my sins. Make me right with you. Take the moment. Jesus, forgive my sins. Make me right with you. I bow my life to you. Jesus, you're the king. Remind us in our spirit, deep in our spirit right now, that you're the king. Let's take the drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray all across this room that the things that people are praying about are happening right now, right now, at this moment of, of faith. The things that we need you to do are happening right now. Physical things that we need you to do are happening right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Coming back to what he said, go and make disciples. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to share the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. You can have that opportunity to share it with somebody else. Take the opportunity. God will honor that in your life. Shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how good looking that they are. We will see you Wednesday night. We're doing a study on Nehemiah on Wednesday nights. We will see you then. Have a great rest of your day.